you can just mark them off as a false apostle. The Bible talks much about those that would say they are apostles, but are not. And the Bible is very strict about the qualifications of the apostle, that they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. None of us have seen Jesus in the re as resurrected. Okay, so none of us can take claim to the apostle. Now, if we were talking about an apostle of the church in the sense of the meaning set out one, you can, I guess you could say a missionary is an apostle in that sense, that they are sent out and an apostle in that sense, but not an apostle as far as the apostle of the Lamb, which the Bible talks about in the New Jerusalem, that the gates will be sealed with the names of the twelve apostles. That limits how many there were. There weren't any future modern-day apostles with the signs and wonders. Similarly, if one claims to be a prophet today, you can mark them as being a false teacher. Now, there's a difference when we maybe describe someone as a prophet-type preacher. That they're one that they just preach the truth, they hold nothing back, and, and they just preach, and, and they maybe have some wisdom and some discernment, and they make some predictions just based on, like, say, hey, if society keeps this up, and if Christians are getting staying in the closet, so to speak, and hiding, this is what's going to happen in society. And those types of things end up happening. That could be a level of discernment, not given new revelation, um, so to speak. Like, and there were prophets in the Old Testament, and there were prophets in the New Testament, but there are no longer prophets. You know, Hebrews 1, um, verse 1 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he have appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so if you see that times past, there were different ways, different times that God spoke through the prophets. That was his purpose. And what we generally see happening is like even with the miracles, signs, and wonders, they typically came when there was new revelation that God was giving. That we see with the law, when God was using Moses, he used signs and wonders, and there was new revelations. You see, then kind of when the prophets, the period of the nature, the minor prophets, that um, there's new revelation given signs and wonders. Then you have the silent years, the 400 years, approximately between the Old and the New Testament. No new revelations being given. They're simply to preach the Old Testament. But then you see um, Jesus coming and with signs and wonders commissions the apostles um, to do different mighty works. But there's a difference between true teachers and false teachers. And what we need to do is to really discern on what would be true and what would be false. And again, as Isaiah 8.20 says, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no truth in them. Okay, in here I have some flour and some rice. And see, what we need to do is we need to shift 
There's a lot of different thoughts in society. Thoughts about God, thoughts about what they think about the Bible, about the Word of God. And we need to discern between that and because we need to shift, shift things through. And you see, what's coming through here is the following. And you say the falsehoods. You know, and what we need to use the Word of God as a strength. The Word of God is what we are to base, what we teach, what we preach, what we believe on. And then we'd be left with Christ. And so we need to separate the truth from the falsehood by using the Word of God. Go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll preach on this later as well when we are actually preaching through the book of 2 Timothy. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Was inspired of God tradition? No. It's scripture. All scripture is profitable for, for doctrine. And in that doctrine, for reproof, for, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, being complete, for we furnish unto all good works. And that's what we need is the Word of God. It's not the traditions. It's what is the Word of God. What does the Word of God teach? If the Word of God isn't teaching it, um, it it's a doctrine, then we shouldn't espouse it as some new doctrine. Um, we read on 2 Timothy chapter 4. Says I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and dead in his appearing and his kingdom. Okay, so he says, you know, Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he's gonna judge the quick, meaning the alive, and the dead. God is gonna judge them. Jesus is gonna judge them, and he says, I charge you therefore, Timothy, I charge you unto this. And what is it? Priest. The word. Preach the word. Don't be preaching New York Times. Don't be um, preaching just a top-selling book that's going on. Preach the word. Preach the Bible. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. And so what that means is when it's popular, you preach the word. Okay, that sometimes there's things that you preach, and it may be popular in your generation at the time, but there's going to be times when it is not popular. And what are we supposed to still do? Preach the Word. And I'm sure you can think of a lot of things nowadays that would not be popular to preach on. The LGBTQ, however many more letters are going to be added. It's not popular to preach on that topic. But we're still to preach the word. So many other things I'm sure you could think of that they're not popular to preach, but whether it's in season or out of season, we are to be faithful to preach it. Whether it's going to cause people to leave this church or to stay, we are to preach it, to preach 
the word instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke. See, part of preaching the word is reproving. It reproves our thinking. And sometimes it's rebuking in our behavior. Rebuking the sin that may be in our life. A lot of popular preachers today, they don't have the reproof, they don't have the rebuking. They have simply the comforting, the encouraging, the motivational. There's nothing wrong with motivational preaching, but motivational preaching should again be preaching the Word. Not just how to have your best life now, so to speak. Okay? It's, we need to be preaching the word and its sort with all long suffering and doctrine. He says, for the time will come, and this time is here already. Okay? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heed to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto faithfuls. I said that there's going to be people in the congregation, they have to understand, they want you to tell them what makes them feel good. They don't want to hear doctrine. They don't, don't say doctrine divides. We just want to unify. It's not what the Word of God teaches. Yes, we should seek unity. The Bible talks about how pleasant is it that brethren, brethren dwell together in unity. We should strive for that unity. But that unity needs to be based on the truth of the word of God. We need to return unto fables. A false teacher will be marked by ungodliness. Instead of godliness, false teachers will eventually be marked by sin. Now this isn't to say that everyone that has fallen in sin in a disqualifying way, it doesn't mean that they were all false teachers. There are sometimes those that were faithful to teach God's word and they fell to sin. That does happen. Okay, but false teachers, it's the pattern. It's the pattern for them to kind of give this mirage of, of holiness, of righteousness, but inwardly there's not, there's sin that is in hiding, and eventually it most often ends up coming out. You know, the Bible talks about be sure your sin will find you out. They eventually it'll come out. And the Bible talks about how there will be some things that some of us will have never known, but when they face a holy and righteous God, his judge, it will be revealed. False teachers will often seek to push the limits on what is acceptable. According to the Word of God, they'll use the Word of God to try to show it, to try to improve of their sin. Now again, many times they'll look good on the outside for a long time. I remember having someone before really trying to push Michael Bickle, Mike Bickle of IHOP, International Health of Prayer Ministries. Uh, and it's a false ministry, it's a false teaching gospel where he claimed to be a super apostle, a super prophet, giving new revelation of God, and now it's coming out that there's been all kinds of sexual scandals in his life. 
going on for a long time. This wasn't someone that, man, they were faithful and they fell in temptation and they're trying to repent and get right. No, it's something they try to continue to cover up, continue to try to hide, but now it's come to a point where it's no longer able to be hid. And that's going to be common of a false teacher. There's going to be Christian limits on what is right, on what is wrong, and they're going to be marked with a life of sin. And sexual abuse is often one of the ones that could be common, whether it be in a Southern Baptist convention and independent Baptist churches, who there have been some that would have an issue of child abuse in their church, and then they send them off to another church because they know it's going to be a distraction here, but they'll give them a recommendation to another church. And that's evil, that's wicked, that's sinful. You know, that what should happen is if there's any kind of child abuse, they should be reported to the authorities immediately. But what was the Paul's accusation? Well, report it to the authorities and let them figure it out. Okay? I understand, you know, no one wants to be falsely accused of anything. And the Bible talks about that, you know, scripturally, if someone wants to be a false accuser, the punishment they should receive should be what the, a, a real offender should get. Yeah, if someone was saying that falsely accused someone of murder, they should pay the price for murder if they're given a false accusation. But it's evil, it's wicked to try and cover up things. And sometimes churches will um, try to hide and cover things up for the reputation of their church. Right? You know, we don't want this to get out. I've mentioned this before, it might have been recently, um, a church in Bellingham. Now, you know what, they had some suspicions. Um, they called the CPS and just said, hey, we have some suspicions, we don't have proof. And they said, they told them, you can't say anything until you have absolute proof. Until there is evidence, um, there might be other things um, that maybe you could do, but you cannot say anything, otherwise it's defamation of character and you'd be sued. They then ended up finding out there was a crime against a child and immediately reported it to the authorities. Now, some churches have, and I try to sweep it under the rug, not mention it, you know, and just deal with it privately and move on. Okay? But they deal with it right away. And the journalist called. And left a message and said, hey, we hear there's allegations of abuse by a staff member in your church. Um, we're just calling to investigate that and to report on it. And he actually called him back. The pastor did. The pastor called him back and knew the journalist was shocked, surprised that this would happen. And so then, told him, Told them what happened. We're cooperating with the authorities. Once we found out, we reported it right away. The person is no longer on staff. And instead of being on the front page headline news, which typically that would be a church with a staff member that committed abuse, they put it inside, but not the front page news. And there were really insignificant stuff on the front page. But he said, you know, I appreciate you calling me back. Most would not call back when there's an allegation of, of such men. You know, Jesus said, anyone would offend one of these little ones who's believe on me, and uh, that it would be better for a millstone to be tied about their neck 
and he'll be thrown into the depths of the sea. And Jesus was absolutely loving. You know, his love for children was greater than it was for permitting what the sin would be for molesting a child or whatever it may be, a rape or um, all kinds of scandals. Abuse ought not to be covered up. When the false church or a false teacher, they're going to do what they can to cover it up. No better churches, church in Florida, um, that um, a, um, there were speculation, there were rumors about the pastor molesting little boys. And at the time, they didn't have any evidence. They didn't have any facts. It was just rumors. It was just speculation. But instead of really investigating and reporting to the authorities, they had the pastor resign and sent him to be a missionary to Germany. Then the evidence did come out. Well, if there's an allegation, if there's something going on that needs to be investigated, you don't send him from one ministry to another ministry. That would be a sign of a false teacher. Back in the first Timothy chapter six, to in verse four, the seed is proud, <clears throat> knowing nothing, but knowing about questions and strides of words, where come of envy, strife, railings, evil surmises, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdrawal thyself. And so another sign of a false teacher is he's proud, he's arrogant, but he basically speaks ignorance. He's ignorant of what he's actually teaching. It's just a bunch of fluff. There, there's pride. You see that in, uh, what is this, Demetrius, uh, in First John, um, where... Uh, um, he loved to have the preeminence. He received not the brethren. He was proud. He was arrogant. And false teachers, there's going to be pride. There's going to uh, be a, a, this stereotype of uh, I'm the man of God. Touch not the Lord's anointing. I've heard that before. I say, you know, don't say anything about the pastor. Because he's the man of God. He's not to be questioned. Touch not the Lord's anointed. And you know what? They, they, there is a verse that says, touch not the Lord's anointed. And it had nothing to do with preaching. Nothing at all. It was David recognized that Saul was king. Saul was doing wrong, and David had a chance to kill Saul. And this wasn't talking about speaking ill of what Saul was doing. And this isn't talking about someone saying, hey, I think the pastor is wrong on this. This had to deal with David had the thought to kill the king who was doing wrong, and then David steps back and realizes, how dare I even have that thought that I would touch the Lord's anointing. That God can put him as king 
So maybe it's not doing right, he's not living right, but that's who God has put in place his king. And so he repented of himself. And then eventually, because of Saul's rebellion, Saul would have partial obedience. He would do religious sacrifice, but his heart was far from God. And so God took the kingdom away from Saul and then gave it to David. It wasn't David trying to take it away from Saul. It was God took it away from Saul and gave the kingdom to David. And so a false teacher is going to be one that's proud. They're full of pride. There's going to be a lot of ignorance in what they teach as well. And it also strikes the words, as mentions envy, strife, realms, you know, a slander. It's going to be common for them to slander others. That's right. Okay, if we mention and we mark by name someone that's a false teacher, because it's contrary, they teach contrary to the word of God, that's not just useless slander. That is informing the people of, of, of that there's wolves out there that are coming in sheep's clothing. But someone that is truly a false teacher, they're always ones that are going to feel like others are always attacking them and just trying to get the support of the people, and they're just always being critical all the time of everyone. Okay? There's time and a place where we're going to preach and mark false teachers. But we're talking about that every single Sunday. It's not going to be a healthy diet for a Christian. Where all we're doing is talking bad about everyone else out there and that we're the only ones doing them right. Okay, that would be a big red flag. Now don't get me wrong, there will be times where we do mention, I mention Michael Bethel by name, okay? My purpose isn't to go and slander his ministry. My purpose is a sexual predator in a name of religion, okay, filled with scandal, oh, calling on people to give donations to their ministry and promising that God will give them health, wealth, and prosperity to give it. And here he's living a double life, just living it in sin. But if we were hyper, say hyper focus on everything that's outside and not on conforming and repenting in our own life, then there would be a red flag. The Bible says only by pride come of contention. By the way, evil surmises. That's like speculation on falsehoods. It's, it's of like just having a mentality of thing, like, you know, these other preachers or these other teachers, they have these motives. They have these false motives. And where we're just speculating and assuming things without any actual evidence of whatever it may be. It's, it's having a joy, a glee, and hoping something is bad in another. Perverse disputings of corrupt minds. That there's just always going to be this debate. Destitute of the truth. Again, see, they're not speaking the word of God because there is no light in them or they're twisting it. Supposing they gain is godliness. And as for there's a strong desire to be rich. More likely to 
fall, the Bible talks about those that will be rich, where that is their motive, there's going to be some temptations that they'll face uh, um, that maybe will be stronger. Now, there's nothing wrong or sinful with being rich, but they that their go-to is just to get rich. That's all that's in their desire, that it will bring corruption. As the Bible says, um, by they that will be rich fall into temptation and this snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not that money is evil. Okay, okay. This chair is not evil or good. This chair could be in a church house like this, or it could be in the church of Satan. There's nothing evil or good about the chair in that sense. Money and wealth, there's nothing good in of itself, and there's nothing evil in of itself. It's with the heart, the covetousness, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. That you look at um, thanks to society, all, a lot of the evil that's out there, you can trace it to the love of money. Drug dealing. You know, what's the purpose? The love of money. Disregard for the person they're selling the drugs to, but they're getting rich off of it. Corruption in different corporations could be the greed. It's that love for the money that leads them astray. That, that Gets them, convincing them, convinces them to be willing to do that which is evil, to obtain that. And false teachers have fallen in that trap. That they, they're doing it for the love of money. And as where Paul says, hey, if we have fruit, fruit and raiment, let us be there with content. And yes, the Bible does also teach the diligent shall be rich. But um, those that are lazy, those that are slothful, will be poor. Um, you can look at different people in the Bible that were rich. Job was the richest man in the east of his time. Solomon, filled with much wealth. Nothing wrong with the evil in, or evil with the money itself. But there are certain temptations that are going to be stronger with great wealth. And next week we'll talk more about that. It'll be the last message on that. Nothing wrong, simple with being wealthy, but there are some temptations that do come their way. And here Paul is warning Timothy that there are those that are false teachers, um, and there could be even those that were good teachers, but they coveted after the, the financial success or the faith, uh, or the fame, I mean, and they appeared from the faith. And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. No pastors that have had to read some. Because they got a gambling addiction. And then we got to a point where they used the church funds to gamble. And his justification, um, if I understand it correctly, was well, we were just trying to increase the church funds. He lost it. That covetousness. Led to him being up having meaning to step down. False teachers are going to be marked by unholiness. Can be strived. And, and 
as we mentioned, the Bible says it is drowned men in destruction and perdition. Covetousness caused them to fall from falling after God, pierce themselves with many sorrows. The Bible says, for those for the false teachers, it's verse 11, but now, O man of God, flee these things. Flee these things. And as he said in verse 5, where he says, uh, from such, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Withdraw thyself from the help of prosperity gospel. You know, the likes of Cleve Odom, Benny Hinn. Uh, um, there's those that they, they use that if you, if you give to their ministry, yeah, that you'll be blessed. That you planted that seed and God's going to give you a hundredfold and, and they just use that. You know, if anything, you know, say to them, hey, why don't you give to me so God blesses you. Okay? Just give to me. So, you know, tell them anything that, hey, you give to me if you want God to bless you. But it doesn't work that way in their mind. Now, are there principles in the word of God to give and God will bless? Absolutely. Yes, there is. And God is, he created us, designed us to be givers. To, to consider others better than ourselves. And yes, Jesus said that, you know, when, when you bless people privately, that God will reward you openly. Yes, there's truths in that. But a helpful prosperity gospel teaches that if you're saved and you're right with God, you won't be poor, you won't need to have any loans, that um, you know, God will give you a mansion because you're just living right. You know, how about John the Baptist? He was in prison. Are we going to say John the Baptist was <coughs> with God? You see that? The Bible says of Jesus, at the time of his ministry, he had nowhere to lay his head. Was Jesus not right with his Father? Of course, he was right with his Father. <coughs> the health, wealth, prosperity gospel is a false gospel. Just because you're saved, does not mean you're going to be a millionaire, a multi-millionaire. You know, you be faithful to serve God, whether that brings affliction or whether God brings different other kinds of visible success. We're to be faithful. You read in Hebrews 11 what we call the Hall of Faith sometimes. And you look at the men and the women that were, are in there that you see some of them, we talk about, okay, they were triumphant. Okay, you know, and, and then you see that others that they were beheaded, that they were pierced, that they, they were that they were murdered. They were all faithful to serving God. One was not more faithful than God simply because he lived. From such withdraw thyself. That from false teachers you separate yourself. There comes a time when we shouldn't waste our time and energy in more debates and arguments. Withdrawal may not be easy for many of us, as it can appear to be surrender. 
If you're competitive at heart like I am, it could be a struggle because you want to stay and win the battle. But there are times where it is more strategic to withdraw. It's it may be sometimes in one's best interest for the testimony of one's ministry. It may not always be easy, but it may be easy. And if all seats are saved, you want to be in all kinds of division. Keep the people divided, but keep them united and given toward their ministry. Romans 16, 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they are that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So here, Paul warns there's going to be people that teach doctrine and cause divisions. You know, it could even happen in the local assembly in our church where someone starts teaching some new doctrine, so to speak, and is trying to draw away disciples after themselves. The Bible says, mark them that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And that doctrine which you have learned ought to be the Word of God. Not just the pastor's word or just some other teacher's word. It ought to be the word of God that was taught. And so Paul says there's time to mark them. You know, marking them, that means you know what you named them. You're saying, identify it. These are a false teacher. Or this person is divisive. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose things shall be according to their works. But should all men fall short of the glory of God, and so they be judged all for their sin, instead of being saved in the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's false teachers, and he says Satan was an angel of light, and, and he's able to continue to transform himself into an angel of light. And so it's no wonder that even his ministers, the devil's false teachers, are transformed to be like ministers of righteousness. They seem to be good people. They even maybe seem to be holy, seem to be prepared righteous. But inwardly, they are not. All right. Anybody know what this is? What, what is this? Hershey bar. What's a Hershey bar made of? Chocolate. What is this? <laughs> it says Hershey's too. I'll put it where it's not upside down. Okay, Hershey's, okay, so we got Hershey's bar here, and we got the Hershey's bar right here, okay, we got chocolate right here, okay, and so if I break this, what do you have on the inside? Chocolate, okay, so you have, what's on the outside? Okay, chocolate and chocolate, okay, now about right here, okay, now it's not just chocolate, okay, you got almonds in it, okay, What's inside is different than what's on the outside. 
nuts don't belong in your chocolate. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> The true teacher, the faithful teacher <coughs> of the Word of God, is going to be the same on the inside and on the outside. Of course, we're all with law. We're all tainted with sin. I'm not perfect. I sin. There's times I don't treat my wife right or treat my children right. We all sin, okay? But we're striving to seek God and try to repent of our sin. Someone that's going to be faithful to the Word of God, they're going to be the same on the inside and the outside. False teacher, on the other hand, they may look like they're all chocolate, but they may be full of nuts. <laughs> False teachers look good on the outside, but they're corrupt on the inside. Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Scribes would be sound up and copy the scripture. They would copy the scripture and write it there. And then they would sometimes give their interpretation stuff. The Pharisees were looked at as being religious, superior to the rest in society. And Jesus said, Woe unto you! For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Now, blind Pharisee, Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of it may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful <coughs> outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. And when so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. False teacher, they're going to know how to play the game of religion. They're going to know how to be religious, but sometimes you get close to them or you get to know them or scandals are exposed. You see that it's full of hypocrisy. Now, Jesus wasn't saying the outward doesn't matter. You know, some people today, they'll mar all their body. And be like, don't judge me. Can God look at the heart, not the outward appearance? Yeah, it's true. But when the Bible said that, the purpose wasn't to look gross on the outside and then have a clean heart. It was that if you're going to have a clean heart, that you know what, the outward is going to just take care of itself. Godliness with contentment is great gain. True teacher, you're going to know how to be content. Content with what they have. As Paul says, we brought nothing into this world, and there's not a thing we will bring back down with us. No, we're going to die, we're going to go to the grave. And then we raise again a new creature, and you know it will be raised in his likeness. But we're not bringing any of our material gains with us. Having food and great clothing, raiment, resting, content. To be content with what you have. It says, But thou, in verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness. So that 
internal, that righteousness. You know, some things will be able to be seen by others, but some things won't be able to be seen by others. People aren't always going to see what's in the heart. But you strive to live righteously with God, with Christ. Teachers that strive to live righteous in Christ. Godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. These are characteristic traits of a true teacher. You have to be someone they're going to be a person that has faith. That they're going to have faith that God is going to bless, that God is going to answer prayer. There's faith. There's love. There's the love of, um, instead of using the flock for financial gain, they're out ministering to the flock. See, trying to see how their needs may be met. To primarily feeding them the word of God, feeding them a healthy diet, but also looking out for their enemies, caring for the flock, to demonstrate love to the flock, and being patient. Being patient with people. You know, there's sometimes, 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 sometimes. But there's sometimes in our history here where we've had Christians that, and they feel like they had it all together. They came to church in their suit. All their kids had a suit. Their girls had a dress on, had their King James Bible. And they just look like, oh, look, they look like they're all well put together. And then start complaining and saying things like, oh, you know, why is there, um, why, why, why do you have a woman in pants in the church? They're, they're, they're like being so condemning. They're, they're, they're being um, um, judging. And, so, and, 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 and they'll bring out something about how, you know what, you know, such, such, you know they, they, they smoke cigarettes. Or they drink. Or they do this, or they do that. And some of the things, the standards they're trying to mention, is sometimes it's things like, who cares? Okay? You don't have a TV. They have a TV. Hopefully they're not. The Bible does say, said, no what you think before your eyes. And so you're controlling what's on the TV. But whether you have a TV or don't have a TV, does not make you righteous. It does not make our church evil. Because we got big screen TVs right here. Okay? So some things, doesn't matter, okay? Have convictions for your family. Hey, if you don't want to have a TV, so be it. We don't have cable in our home. Okay, we don't want filth just coming across anytime when we're not in the room. Now we will watch from time to time movies or have different subscriptions and monitor that. But whether someone has TV or doesn't have a TV does not make one more holy or make one less holy. Make someone unholy. And then there are other things that, yeah, you know, you, you know what, it might be good if, you know what, this Christian that came to church didn't come smelling like he got drunk last night. But you know, as a pastor also, we're to be, and as a Christian, we're to be patient. You know, we're, we're not to be a church to fill of everybody perfect people. We're to be reaching people. We're to be seeing the gospel transform people's lives. That is that drunk that maybe comes week after week, and you may know he's a drunk, but he's still coming to church. Praise God, okay? We're not having him teach a Sunday school class, okay? But he's coming. He's learning. 
And maybe he'll be out, or maybe he'll bring the meal or something, okay? But we're to be patient with people. To see people grow in Christ. They might be someone that's not saved, and they need the gospel. They might be someone that is saved. They know Christ, but they have this struggle. They have this addiction because their parents gave them alcohol when they were six years old. It's not unheard of. You know, I've asked people where these kids, they were regularly given alcohol. And they struggle with that. And it's not something they're proud of. They want to be free from it. And many times they'll take steps where they're doing well. They're doing successful. It's they're yielding to the Spirit of God. And then there's times when they fall. But we ought to be there for one another to be patient. I try to just, again, have disciples after ourselves that all look like us. Hopefully there's people that don't look like us. Hopefully there's people in our church that are struggling and those that are spiritually mature. And as spiritually mature, you're going to go through trials, you're going to go through struggles too. Um, it would be a blessing, it would be a help to people. Not to expect everybody to have the same convictions we have. And hopefully your convictions are based on the Word of God. But maybe they're not there yet. It's possible we may have someone visit the church, a couple that are shacking up. They're not married, they're sleeping together. And they come to church. And the Bible does say, hey, if anyone be called a brother, okay, if anyone that's be a part of our church that knows what's right and isn't doing it, why are we talking about separate um, from that? You know, and that you don't condone it. But we can have someone that is lost and they come to church, they're shacking up, and they don't need that man in his suit, his wife and the dress, and their kids all dressed up with their King James Bible condemning them. Any day of showing them the love of Christ. You know, it's, hey, do you know Christ is your Savior? Do you know that you have eternal life? And they may say yes, they may say no, they may not know. But may you be a testimony, a light. And being a Christian doesn't mean we don't ever confront sin or teach that this is sin. But maybe just for going to church, maybe for four weeks, maybe six weeks. Well, you know what? Spirit is kind of a witness of my spirit, and you're not doing right. You know, maybe we need to get married. Let the grace of God work in their lives instead of our own pride and arrogance getting in the way. Meekness. Meekness, another one. Moses was me. But no one would say he was me. But Moses didn't typically have the attitude when the people weren't following after God. He was like, just kill him, God! Get rid of him! No, he interceded for them. He prayed for them. He wept for them. Even though the people criticized him. And he's like, God, please spare them. Please show me your grace. Show me your kindness. Moses' heart wasn't to see them destroyed. Yes, there were times he got frustrated to see that he broke um, the plates of stone out of frustration. Yes, there were times like that. There was the time where he struck the rock in anger when he was supposed to speak to it. 
and he didn't get to enter the promised land yet because of that. Not until the transfiguration of Christ. And you see Moses and Elijah there in the promised land. God let them be in a special and a unique way. But while he was living on this earth, he didn't get to see it. So he faced some consequences for that. But he was a man known for his weakness, his patience, his love, his care for people. The true teacher is going to show that care. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. For unto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Good teacher, faithful teacher, it's going to have a good testimony. It's going to abide. Again, it doesn't mean we're perfect. True teacher, he's going to look the same on the inside as on the outside. That's right. Heavenly Father, we have an abundance of riches where we can hear all types of preaching online. Podcasts, audio sermons. And many of them are good, wholesome preachers of your word. But there's also a bunch of fluff, just as we illustrated with the rice and the flour. That you know, there's some things on there that's just a bunch of fluff. Maybe it feels like a good motivational message, but absence is the word of God. The word of God is absence. Lord, I pray, Lord, you give our congregation, Lord, your congregation here, Lord, discernment to be able to use the word of God as a strength. That they're speaking not according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. To discern what is the word of God and what is just false teaching. Help us to be a people of the book, to read the word for ourselves. Not to just wait till Sunday to hear Pastor Jason preach a message again, but throughout the week, be reading the Word of God. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you bless the preaching meeting tomorrow and the next day. Pray, Lord, that some of you go and be a part of that. Just receive the blessing that will be through that. And just pray, Lord, you give us me to travel in this season. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Shake hands, folks. Should be friendly. Uh, Wednesday for a Bible study. This um, I'm going to be at the preacher's July in the next two days. We're certainly going to have to work Wednesday night. However, we'll still have a Bible study and prayer meeting where Paul um, will be giving out a message for that and just spend some time in prayer.